Um, Mark chapter 9. Um, we'll be in verses 14 to 29. Mark 9, 14 to 29. We've been in this series where we've been asking the question, when we pray, God fills in the blank. And today we're going to finish it off. Um, this is going to be an inductive sermon. So I'll give you the theme or the title or the big idea of the sermon at the end of the sermon. Um, so when we pray, God fill in the blank. Once you have it, let's stand together so we can read this together. Um, if you're visiting with us, we stand while we read the word, not because we worship the book per se, but we honor, worship the God who speaks through the book. So this standing is a reminder that this is, this is God's re- revelation to us. Um, so Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 10. Um, Jesus, uh, this is actually one of my favorite stories right before this. Jesus is on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and then he starts praying, and then Elijah and, Mo- Elijah and Moses pop up, and then Jesus starts glowing. Um, and Peter's like, this is good. We can build a tent for all of you. And then a cloud comes, and God says, actually, Jesus is my son. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah disappear as if to say, Jesus is the authority now. Jesus is the summation of all of it. So then that happens. They come down the mountain, and it says, and when Jesus, James, uh, John, and Peter came to the other eight disciples or nine disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, uh, your disciples, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And the father said to him, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mutant deaf spirit. Check Jesus's power. He's like, he's essentially evicting this spirit. He, He says, you mutant deaf spirit, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out to never enter again. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but by prayer. Um, Some of your Bibles have a little note that say, and fasting. Some of your Bibles say prayer and fasting. Um... Half of them, about half of the manuscripts we have that we are basing our translations off of, about half of them have the phrase and fasting. About half of them don't have the phrase and fasting. So it's kind of a, we think it's there. Some, some translation committees think it should be there. Some think it doesn't. For semantic purposes, we're saying it should be in there today. Um, so Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer with fasting. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for being here. Thank you for, for, for living your life among us and acting among us. Thank you for your presence. Keep doing what you want to do today. 
Amen. You can, you can be seated. Um, so I think I've told some of you this, but back in um, June or July, I can't remember which month, um, I'm sitting on a couch. I'd just gotten off a plane from preaching in Ohio, and I'm sitting on a couch, tired, dead dog tired. I just want to chill, watch Netflix, and be in my, in my rejuvenation vibe, if you will. Um, and my wife walks up to me with a container for tomato sauce, and she says, hey, baby, can you open this? And me, being the godly head of the household I am, I laughed in her face. Um, why did I laugh in her face? Because my wife is a very strong, independent, my wife, one of the reasons I married her is because my wife was, um, she could handle her own. So I'm thinking, oh, you need me now, don't you? You ain't needed me in three years, but you need me today, huh? So I say, ah, I'll be your knight in shining armor, give me that thing. Uh, So I twist it, and it didn't move. And so I thought, oh, no, what thou mean is this? Um, So so then I had to, I looked down a little, and I twist, and it still doesn't move. And then I thought, oh, this is a serious problem. So so I lean up a little bit, and I twist it, and it still doesn't move. And by this point, I'm embarrassed, because I'm proving to be weak in front of my wife. So, so what do I do to mask my embarrassment? I make it my wife's fault. I say, baby, you know I'm on vacation. Why'd you bring this to me? You, it's July in Joplin. It's humid. You knew I couldn't do this. You set me up for failure. Then I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this. So I stand up. I like put it over my shirt and I'm twisting it and it still doesn't move. Then she's like, I got a trick. She takes it to the kitchen. She puts it under hot water and we tap it a little bit. And I think, okay, I got it now. And it still doesn't move. I can't confirm or deny, but rumor has it that that tomato container is still in my house, <laughs> unmoved. About once a month, I'm sitting up late at night in bed having secret conversations with me and Jesus, and it always comes back to, why couldn't I open up that tomato container? <laughs> this is where we find the disciples. This is where we find the, the, the inaugural class of Jesus' discipleship program. They're, they're behind closed doors, and they're asking Jesus the question, why couldn't we? Why, why couldn't we do this thing you called us to do? Why couldn't we do this thing this man asked us to do? Why couldn't we do this thing? I'm going to talk about this later. Why couldn't we do this thing you gave us power to do? Why couldn't we do it? Jesus' embarrassed disciples have been asking this question throughout history. In some form or another, even in today, today there's a room full of them. Why couldn't I do the thing you called me to do? Romans 8 says, by the power of the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. How come the deeds of the flesh are still alive? I'm supposed to be renewed in the mind, but I cannot break Toxic, self-destructive thought patterns. How come I can't do the thing you called me to do? You've called me to serve these people in a great way. How come I can't do the thing you've called me to do? And and that question, that'll end up uh, turning us to where we start seeking for answers within ourselves. Well, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Where did I fall short? Is this even a promise that's actually available? Maybe it is available. Maybe this just isn't a possibility for me. Why couldn't I do the thing you've called me to do, Jesus? Before you go too far down that thought process, Jesus, he has something to say. He has an answer. But before we get Jesus' answer, I just want to recap and ask, 
how actually did we get to this point of asking Jesus, why couldn't I do the thing you've called me to do? Uh, this, this, this father, he brings his boy to the disciples. And the father says that the, the young boy, he foams at the mouth. His muscles get tense. He falls. He shakes a little. If you took this young boy to Freeman or to Mercy, they'd say he, he, he they diagnose him with epilepsy today. But this father, he saw the symptoms differently. And he had a deeper diagnosis. The father says, it's a spirit causing that. I know, and I know you physically see him shaking. I know you physically see him seizing, but if there's a spirit causing that. Tony Evans, he, he calls events like this, he, he regularly calls them visible problems with invisible roots. In life, there are visible problems with invisible roots. There are physical problems with spiritual roots. This is the common talk of the New Testament. John in Revelation, when he's pointing to the persecution and the societal antagonism that the church is experiencing, he's saying that visible problem has an invisible root of Satan. Paul in Corinthians, when he's talking about relational conflict, he's saying this, this, this visible problem of relational conflict has an invisible root of Satan. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's just talking about the struggles of the Christian life. And he says the visible struggles of the Christian life have an invisible root of rulers and principalities and, and spiritual forces. There are, there are visible problems with invisible roots. Maybe that struggle you've been hitting a wall up against, that visible one, maybe it has invisible roots. Maybe there's a spiritual component in it. Now, I'm not saying all things are caused by the spiritual realm. I'm saying some things are, and it'd be ignorant of us. This is why Paul in Corinthians, he says, I I don't want you to be ignorant of Satan's devices. He's pointing out the spiritual problem. It'd be ignorant of us to completely discount the possibility that there might be a spiritual cause between the visible physical problems we are facing. Can I pause for the cause and bring back the sermon I preached last week? This calls for us to constantly pray for spiritual perception. This, this, This calls us to, when we face a problem, say, God, show me what this actually is. Give me insight into the nature of this thing, because sometimes there are visible problems with invisible roots. So so we're facing this visible problem with invisible roots. We're facing this spiritual problem. That's good, because previously Jesus gave us spiritual power. Spiritual problems calls for spiritual solutions, and we've got one. So we walk up on the scene, we try to handle the thing, we fail to handle the thing, Jesus comes up on the scene, he's about to handle the thing, but before he handles the thing, he gives us insight into the heart of our problem. What's, it, what's, what's at the heart of our problem? Jesus, he looks at us in our failure, at these disciples in their failure, and he says, oh, you faithless generation. Here's my problem with that, as if I can have a problem with Jesus. I wouldn't have tried if I didn't believe it would work. And here Jesus is calling me a faithless believer. What a paradox. What would cause Jesus to call me who believed it would work actually faithless? D.A. Carson, he peeks into the psychology of these failed disciples and he said, they believed it would happen. They believed in themselves to do it. That was their problem. Mark chapter four or three uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sits all of them down and he says, I'm giving you the assignment to cast out demons. I'm giving you the power to cast out demons. They went and they came back and they were like, Jesus, we cast out a whole bunch of demons. So here they are on the scene with some success, thinking probably they had it within themselves to do it. 
They believed they could do it. Write this down, write this down. Faith is defined by its object. You catch what I'm saying? So, so in Matthew's perspective of this story, Matthew adds a little detail where, to where Jesus tells them, you failed because of your little, it's probably best translated, your low quality. You failed because of your low quality, your counterfeit, your fake faith. Why is it fake faith, Jesus? Because it was bent in towards themselves. And then Jesus says, all you need is a mustard seed size of legitimate faith, of real faith, faith bent towards me, and you can watch mountains move. Listen, faith that's put in the fact that you have faith is fake. Hope in just some random good outcome is a hoax. You will set yourself up for failure every time. Confidence in your ability is a con. It doesn't. But Jesus says, all you need is a little bit of confidence in your big old God. All you need is a little bit of hope in the most high. All you need is a little bit of faith. And you can watch mountains move. In this instance, Jesus said, yeah, fake faith. Here's the point. Often at the heart of our failure is a lack of legitimate faith. Often at the heart of our failure is a lack of faith in him. I want to talk to my driven people. I'm one of them. Every personality test, I'm the one who does stuff. I want to talk to my people who, 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 are, who are driven. You, 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 you're strong-willed. You've caught this messaging. You can do anything you put your mind to. I'm not the only one who's heard it. You've heard it and you've believed it too. Come here. Jesus isn't impressed by your confidence. <laughs> Jesus isn't asking you to just believe. He's asking you to believe in him. He's not asking you just to be a confident person. He's asking you to be confident in him. He's not asking you just to have hope. He's asking you to hope in him. Y'all heard me tell this story, I think, in the past few years. There was a um, young mother with a little girl. This is a preacher story, too. Every time I tell a story, if I don't use a personal name, just assume it's made up. So I hope you still believe what I say live stream. Um, my family's watching this. This is my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Jaden. Um, I'm so sorry. I got so sidetracked. Um, so this young mother, she has, she lives in a small town, and she takes her uh, little five, six-year-old daughter to the grocery store with her every week to go pick up groceries. And same thing. They walk into the store. They get their stuff. They get up to the counter, and the man who works at the um, counter has this big old bucket of candy and puts it out to the little girl and says, you can have as much as you want. Go ahead and, and grab it. And that little girl will just look at him for five minutes, just stare at him. And then finally the man will just say, here, go on. And then they'll do the same thing the next week. They'll get to the counter. The girl won't take it. The man gives it to her. She gets in the car and demolishes it every time. And they'll do this week over, week over, week over. Till one time, finally, they get to the counter and the mother's like, you love candy. Why won't you grab it? And the little girl says, mommy, you don't understand. He's got bigger hands than I've got. (laughs) That girl knew she'd see more candy if she put her confidence in the man with bigger hands. Hear me, Christian. You'll see good if you put your confidence in the man with bigger hands. I'm talking about the one who, who, whose hands split the sea from the sky. The one whose hands pinned the stars in their place. The one whose hands set the earth in motion. You believe in your God with bigger hands? You'll see good stuff happen. 
College students, listen to me. Y'all, y'all, y'all want to go serve God in a big way. Some of you are young parents about to, looking forward to parenthood. Some of you are going to do something, serve some people in some way. Listen to me. You will see the most happen when you depend on yourself the least. He's got bigger hands than you do. You better stop trying to do all that stuff you can't do and let him work. So, so Jesus, at the heart of my failure is, is the real faith in you, but and that's good and that's cool, but I've been in moments where I've had faith and still failed. Like I've had crisis moments where I've thought Jesus come through for me and it didn't work. What happens when I do have faith and it still fails? And Jesus says, come to the back room with me. Jesus says, this kind, it only comes out with prayer and fasting. What is the connection between prayer and fasting and succeeding at what Jesus has called us to do? Um, Lynn helps me out with sermons a lot. If they're good because she helps. And one of the questions we had is, what is the connection between prayer and fasting and, being, and doing what we were called to do? Is prayer and fasting getting me some extra boost in the moment that I, I say, all right, stop, guys. Give me about 15 minutes to pray and fast for about 15 minutes. That can't be it. Because we just watched Jesus do it. And I didn't hear him say a prayer, did you? I didn't see him start a fast in that moment, did you? Furthermore, we've seen Jesus cast out demons, tell Lazarus to get up. He did a whole bunch of stuff without saying a single prayer and without stopping for a single fast. What? What's happening? Uh, Daniel Garland and D.A. Carson, they both say what Jesus is prescribing, it's not a quick moment of prayer and fasting in the moment of crisis. Jesus is prescribing a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Here's what Dallas Willard says, because prayer and fasting together are an expression and an exercise of dependence on God. And as you adopt a lifestyle of exercising your faith in God through prayer and fasting, God, he, he increases your faith in him. Because there are certain struggles that need a certain level of faith. Jesus is clear with that. This kind only comes out with prayer and fast. There are certain struggles that only come out with a certain kind of faith. Some struggles, we can just walk in and muster up whatever faith we got. Other struggles require a faith that's developed over time, a strong faith that's developed over time. I, I can't help but imagine Jesus is using this whole episode as an object lesson to teach the disciples. So when Jesus tells the man, anything's possible for those who believe, I know he's looking at the disciples who just failed. And then the man says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And I'd imagine Jesus is saying, that's you guys. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Within myself right now, as I'm preaching to you, there is belief and there is unbelief right now. Within you right now, there is belief and unbelief. And there are certain struggles that will cause our belief to be drowned out by our unbelief. There are certain struggles where our belief in God proves not to be strong enough to, 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 to keep going in the midst of whatever unbelief remains in us. And it's through the regular practice and the regular exercise of prayer and fasting that God strengthens our belief in him. Does that make sense? So, so check this. I work out at Kola. I've been lifting at, in, at Kola since they opened in 2016. And um, here's a weird flex. There are certain amounts of weight that if they were just on the bench press right now, I can just walk in and put it up. You put 225 on that bar, I'll walk in right now in church clothes, fresh off of preaching, and lift that weight in the name of Jesus. Just boom. 
You put 350 pounds on that thing, I have no chance, Jack. The only way I would have been able to lift that 350 pounds is if I'd spent the last year exercising and developing the strength necessary to push through that. This is the same with faith. There are some things that you've successfully had moments where you've been in a crisis moment and you've just mustered up faith and it got you through. Jesus says that ain't everything. There are some moments where you just can't muster up faith in the moment. You have to have faith developed and formed over time. Here's the title. Here's the topic. Here's the main point in the, at the back end of this sermon. As we pray and fast, God builds up our faith. Did you know um, Serena Williams can hit a tennis ball at 128 miles an hour? Fact, we have it on record. Did you know she could do that? Fourth fastest serve ever. Did you know that Serena Williams won a championship while pregnant? That doesn't make sense to some of y'all dudes, but some of you women, she won a championship pregnant. Dallas Willard in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, which I'd highly recommend, he takes an athlete like Serena Williams and he says, there are young children who look at Serena and think, I want to perform in the moments like she performs. And so this young child, they'll put on the Nike gear like Serena. They'll put on a headband like Serena. They'll get a racket that looks like Serena. They'll get in the moment and they'll start to move like Serena and they fail. And Dallas Willard says what that kid doesn't understand is that in order to play like Serena, they got to adopt the lifestyle of Serena. And he uses that and he says, this is the same with the disciples of Jesus. In order to do the works of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. But what's the lifestyle of Jesus? Well, we know for a fact, before we have a miracle of his recorded, he spent a month and a half in the desert praying and fasting. We know for a fact from Luke that it was his regular custom to get away from people to pray. And it's that lifestyle that cultivated a faith in the Father that allowed him to cast out demons and to call Lazarus out of the grave. Jesus, he's inviting us into a lifestyle of learning to depend on the Father like him through prayer and fasting. But he's also inviting us to learn who he is. Uh, 1988, excuse the sports references, 1988, Kurt Gibson stepped up to the plate. The Dodgers are down 4-3 in the World Series final inning, Kurt Gibson hobbles up with two busted knees, knocks it out of the park, hobbles around the park. They win the game. Ah, crowd goes wild. The Dodgers called Kirk's name, and he came through for them. That very next year, um, the Chicago Bulls are down 100 to 99 to the Utah Jazz with three seconds left. Phil Jackson calls Michael Jordan's name. Uh, Mike catches the ball on the right side of the court takes two dribbles to the left, gets at the top of the key, pulls up, clock's winding down, nothing but net. Ah, crowd goes wild. The Bulls called on his number, and he came through for him. Sixteen years later in Ron Skagg's creation and science class at Ozark Christian College, I am in the midst of being defeated by um, his class. I walk into class with my 2.1 GPA and my D average in his class, ready to fail the test and probably not uh, graduate on time. And so I think I've got to succeed. I've really got to pass this test to pass this class. So I get to school. I get to class early, about five to 10 minutes early, so I can study my study guide before this test. The only problem is I didn't make a study guide. (laughs) So I'm just sitting in there thinking, well, (laughs) this is a bad one. Oh, God, this ain't your will for my life, obviously. 
But then I look over, a girl named Becca, she'd been helping me with homework all, all year. So I just say, Becca. And she looked over and she said, do you, do you need my study guide? And I said, yes. <laughs> and just in the nick of time, Becca, she makes a perfect pass across that aisle and it falls right in my hand, right on my desk to where I'm able to scan it. I slide out of that with the C minus on the test. I keep my D average in the class. I kept my 2.1 GPA. I graduated Ozark with a 2.5. Here I am pastoring you. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> I, I called on Becca. I called Becca's number and she came through. Uh, you know the Dodgers have called Kirk Gibson's number before and he struck out. Bulls called Mike's number and he missed some shots. I've called Becca's number and she didn't have every class with me. <laughs> but the scripture states this is a fact. Your God comes through for you every time you call on his name. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, shouts out in Lamentations. He said, I called on the name of the Lord from the depths of the pit. He came to me and he lifted me out of that pit. Your God comes through for you when you call on his name. It gets better than that. He came through for you before you called on your on his name. We, we humanity, we were Buried in the depths of death, of death. We, we were, we were toppled by sin, pushed down by Satan. You didn't know his name. You didn't think to call his name, but he came to you. He got up on a cross. He laid down in the grave. He got up in victory and he brought your life out of that pit. He brought you out of the depths of death. He brought you out of the condemnation of sin. He brought you out of the shackles of Satan. And right now you live in victory because he came on you even before you called his name. That's your story. He came through for me when I called his name. One of our favorite songs around here, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been good. Great is your faithfulness, oh God, my father. There is no shadow of turning with me. Oh, you're never going to let me down. We're singing this from experience. All my life, he's come through for me. Young boy born with a distant father, and he came and was a father. All my life, you've come through for me. Born into a broken family, and he redeemed my life. All my life, you've come through for me. Didn't have anyone to teach me anything. Had nothing but questions. He came through as a teacher. All my life, you've come through for me. Haven't need, haven't wanted a day, haven't gone to sleep without a meal, haven't gone to sleep without a pillow. All my life you've come through for me. And he's inviting us to learn that kind of faithfulness through exercising prayer and fasting. Here's the call. Accept his invitation into a life of exercise and faith. Some of us, we, we've never done this before. We've never lived with Jesus. And he's saying, just believe in me. And I'll come through for you. You're no match for life. You've tried to come through for you. It didn't work. And he says, believe in me and I'll come through for you. We'll, we'll have people at the end of the meeting over there who'd love to talk with you about that if you want to do that. Uh, Christians, specifically Christchurch, this in, accepting this invitation looks like prayer and fasting. 
I'd love for you to participate this week, but let's go beyond this week. My prayer is that we be a people, we be families, we be individuals who accept this invitation from Jesus, and we say, I'm going to exercise my faith in you through regular prayer and fasting, whether the church is doing it corporately or not. You've had moments, crisis moments that have stretched your faith, and you look back and say, that stretched my faith. Why wait until a crisis moment? Why not be proactive about it? That's what the invitation is. We have five values. I'm going to say, say one of them at least every week. And one of the values is we, 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 we long to be a family formed by God. Uh, and this is our focus for prayer and fasting this week. A family formed by God, the scripture's clear, is a hospitable family. Family that, 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 that acts as a home for all people. Uh, family that says you walking around with crippling shame, can't even look somebody in the eye. Come, come be a part of this one. We have a home for you. A family that says you're a child and you've been absolutely abandoned by your family. You're in a broken system. Come be a part of this family. You, you're, you're, you're from Afghanistan and you, you've lost your life. Come be a part of this family. You're, you're under resource and you have nothing. Come be a part of this family. We want to be that kind of family formed by God. But to be that, we need to be a family formed by God to believe in him to do that for us. And it's in prayer and fasting that he forms us into a family that believes in him for all things. Christ Church, I'm going to try my best to preach better and better every week. We're, we're going to try to serve well. We're going to have programs. We're going to try to get better. But listen, if we don't believe, what are we doing? This is the one thing Jesus said I want from you. We can't neglect this. So here's your official invitation to a week of prayer and fasting. I'd love for you to participate. At the least, would love for you to abstain from something, come to a prayer meeting. I can guarantee you something good's going to come out of this. Let's stand together. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your constancy. Thank you for your consistency, your steadfastness. We we can confidently declare that you've never let us down. You're not letting us down. You won't let us down. You're you're God who comes through. Thank you for this invitation to learn that more and more. To teach us this week. Teach us. Teach us this week that You're what satisfies us. Teach us this week that you're what we have in heaven and on earth. Teach us that you're the good that we have. Teach us that you can do all things. Teach us that you'll do everything you said you'd do. We want more of you this week. Come to us. Amen.